Good morning. Isn't it wonderful to have a Lord's Day that God set aside for His people to assemble and to forget about all the worries and strains of the week and lift up our hearts and praise to our God and open His Word and offer our prayers and be with the saints. And this is a gift. One of the things that we studied on Thursday night was a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And he begins the book by quoting Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. And his first point is, it is not to be taken for granted that we get to live in community. And right now there are around the world brothers and sisters who can't gather this openly, sing this loudly because the government would persecute them if they do. And there are those that are incarcerated and those that are homebound and those that are alone. And they would love to be a part of a fellowship like this. And so this is a gift. This is a blessing. And it's nice to enjoy it with you. When I was growing up, one of my good friends was named Eric Sandin. And even in elementary school, Eric knew that he wanted to be an engineer. And when we went to play at Eric's house, he was always building something cool. And so he was the one that introduced me to model rockets and we would put together these various things that would go up so high and come down in a parachute. Or he would have, I forget what they called it, it was an engineer set that had all these parts that not only were like my Legos that were fun to play with, his came with engines and motors. It wasn't an erector set. I see lots of people who were into this. I've been trying all morning. I Googled this morning on engineering sets, Calypso or something like that. But it all came together and then you would flip a switch and it would move. It would do stuff. It would lift, it would push, it would shove, it would turn. And it was so much better than my Lincoln Logs and Ticker Toys and Legos that you put together but didn't actually do anything. And some of you all have had that putting cars or motorcycles or planes or building a home where you had a design, you found all the pieces, you assembled it, but then there was that magical moment when you turned the key when you started the ignition, when you kicked the starter, when you booted it up, and you realize, this does stuff. <laughs> and there was an anticipation and an excitement. Well, the church is like that. And up to now, we've been talking about in our survey of the church, the way the church is designed and how God has put it together and the leaders that He has established. But the church is meant to do stuff. And we're about to turn it on in a new way. So up till now, Dini Community Church has been what we knew was a soft opening. If you're familiar with the restaurant business, when you open a restaurant, you typically have a soft opening to make sure that the food is prepared right, the wait staff know what they're doing, the registers work, the credit card machines work, and then when everything's ready, you open for business. And from the very beginning, we kind of termed from our first service in December up through the end of August as our soft opening when we'd really become a community, when we would establish a worship service, when we would find our rhythm of what it is to meet on Sundays and then midweek, when we would find the families that would be the core and we would build relationships with one another. And now, the new fall semester's here and we're ready to pronounce ourselves open for business with a logo and a website and getting involved in the community in a new ways. And so what we wanna do this morning is three things. We want to look at a classic passage of Scripture to see how the inward working, the inreach of the church relates to the outward working purpose of the church of making disciples of all the nations. And then we want to let our various ministry heads share with you what's going to be going on this fall at Dina Community Church and ways for you to get involved. 
And then we invite you to come to our house for the brunch where you can ask these people or any of us what's going on, give me some more details so that you can begin seeing how God would have you participate. Because every Christian has spiritual gifts so that they can fulfill their place and part in the body of Christ. And that's where the good stuff happens. That's where the fun happens. Not when you're in the spectator seats, but when you hit the field and you get engaged and get involved. So let's open in a word of prayer and then we will open the Sermon on the Mount and then we will talk about what God has for us this fall. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the church. We thank you that we don't live our lives in isolation, but every man and woman that you allow to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you identify with the body of Christ and you place them in your household. You adopt them as your children that we might live our lives together. And then, Lord, you don't just simply have us go about our business, having quiet times, but you give us gifts to be involved in ministry. You've entrusted the gospel to us. You've given the commission to the church so that we can go out and share with others the testimony of what you have done in our life and invite them to let you do the same in their life as well. So, Lord, would you please now be with us as we hear our Lord's words of what we are to be as individual citizens of the kingdom, as well as your intent for us as you place your sons and daughters in the midst of a world that you love and want to see join your family as well. And we'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, where we will be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Uh, Matthew's Hebrew name was Levi. He was a tax collector whom Jesus came and said, Come, follow me. And he did. And he immediately threw a dinner for his friends, and the gospel was shared much to the chagrin of the Pharisees. And then he became a disciple, an apostle, and indeed one of the gospel writers. And up to now in Matthew, we've seen the genealogy of the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah. Uh, we saw the Magi come to bring their gifts. He fled to Egypt and then was brought back. He's been baptized, he's been tempted. And then he began his public ministry. And this is the first of five major discourses in Matthew, large sections of our Lord's teaching, and the most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 1 it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Throughout the Gospels, we see two broad groups of people in uh, Jesus' wake. There's the crowds that are just exploring. Who is this man that says such words with such authority? Who would live such a godly life? Could he be the Messiah? Here's the one who does miraculous deeds and miraculous acts of compassion and love. And they're drawn to him. But then there are those who have been there long enough to say, I do believe that this is the Messiah, could be the Messiah, and I'm going to become a follower of his. I'm going to be his disciple. And Jesus intentionally invests himself, not with the crowds, but with the disciples. Because by investing himself in the few, he is raising up a group who can reach the many after he ascends. Because this is the model of the way that Jesus intends to reach the world. Not by just simply large public assemblies and mass evangelism events, but as we spend time one-on-one -on -one with people, help them mature in the Lord, find and develop their gifts, grow in the faith, now they go forth and they proclaim the gospel and they begin to disciple and it ripples out in wondrous ways. So men and women were always his method. Discipleship was always the means that he established to accomplish the Great Commission.
And so with his disciples, he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying. And this next series of verses are all going to begin with the same word, blessed, which doesn't mean happy. It means truly well off because God is pleased with you. So this is the life that everyone wants. This is the life of shalom or peace or thriving, of prosperity as God intends it. And God is going to lay out his plan for human thriving. So this coming Friday, I'm going to be participating with a number of other men and women leading the incoming TAM students at North Texas, the Texas Academy of Math and Science, through a book reading project that they've been reading over the summer. And this particular book is on happiness and how we can learn to be happy and how they as students can be happy. And everybody wants to be happy. Wherever you're from, whatever you're majoring, all these are, we want the blessed life. And here in these verses, Christ is going to lay before us God's plan for the blessed life that He intends for us. And it begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who acknowledge their spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are those who look at their own soul, who look at their own spirit, and don't compare themselves with other people whom they might be relatively better than, but with Almighty God who is perfectly holy, and they realize there is nothing in me that is good and righteous. There is nothing in me that is pleasing to God. There is nothing I can do to earn my way to heaven. There's no way that I can contribute to my salvation. And becoming aware of that, they acknowledge to God, I am a sinner. I'm bankrupt. God, would you save me because I can't save myself? And those who will do this enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the entrance requirement for entering God's kingdom, is acknowledging that we are sinners who can do nothing to save ourselves and throwing ourselves on the mercy of God and what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve over our sins, who are contrite, who are repentant, who realize all that I've done that I fall short, that the good that God commands I don't do or I do it incompletely with impure motives. The wrong that He tells me not to do, I indulge in anyway. And I feel bad about that. I regret that. I repent of that. And I want God to change me. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. God comforts those who mourn over their sins. And one day, it won't be the domineering and the aggressive and the assertive and the powerful that dominate this earth like this life. But those who have yielded their lives to God, and aren't trying to take and to grab and to possess and to fight off everyone from trying to get what they've already acquired, but those who are gentle in spirit. And these are the ones that will one day inherit the world. And now, having acknowledged our sin, grieved over it, changed in our heart about not trying to go out and just grab and seize and protect what we can, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want God to make us more like Him. We want to be holy. We want to be righteous. We want to be more obedient because we want to be more like our Savior. We want to be able to draw closer to our God because sin separates relationships. It's not just a judicial concept that we committed a misdemeanor or a felony and there's a penalty. Sin separates people. Uh, if I'm harsh to my wife, I put distance in the relationship. If I'm angry towards my children, I put distance in the relationship. If I'm rude to a coworker, I put distance in the relationship. 
And in order for me to draw back close again, I have to repent and get right and treat them better. And so if we want to be close to God relationally, we need to remove the sin that separates us from Him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As we receive mercy from God, sinful as we are, we in response show mercy and compassion to others, undeserving as they are, and then God is continuously merciful with us. It changes us in the way that we treat other people. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We don't just want our actions changed. We don't want just simply an external obedience. We don't just want our speech corrected. I want my heart transformed. I want my soul purified. I want my desires focused. Uh, there's a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard who wrote a book called Purity of Heart is to Desire or Will One Thing. And for those who realize who God is and what He's done for us in Jesus Christ and the life that is possible for us in Him, that now becomes our consuming desire. And we want to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to live for Him and not for ourselves and to remove anything in us that is impure, that is displeasing, anything that makes Him unable to use us as fully as He desires. We want heart transformation, not just an external righteousness that impresses people. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God is a peacemaker. He's a reconciler. He sent His Son to die so that we might be reconciled with Him and with one another. And those that imitate their God go and do likewise. At one level, this means restoring peace to souls as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's possible for us as sinners to be reconciled to God if we acknowledge our sin, embrace Jesus as our Savior, and now we can have peace with God. The Bible says that therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. That we have in Jesus Christ the reconciliation. And now we try to let that internal peace with God ripple out into peaceful relationships in our marriages and with our children and with our families and with our neighbors and our co-workers. And if we see that those are in conflict, that we try to reconcile them if we can. Uh, when the kids were younger, I was dropping them off at the house and then I was on my way to try to reconcile two individuals that were in conflict. And my son Michael in the back seat said, Daddy, you're going to be a peacemaker. I said, yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. And by God's grace, we try to bring peace to the relationships around us. But the word for peace means shalom, which is when everything is functioning as God intends it, that all is right in the world, that there's thriving and human prospering because people are obeying God, and we want to see God's blessing and God's will established everywhere. And so we become peacemakers. And you would think that those who acknowledged their sin and grieved over their wrongdoing and those who became gentle rather than aggressive and those who hungered and thirsted, who desired passionately to be more righteous and better people and those who were compassionate and those who were pure and those who wanted to make peace, you would think that the world would esteem and enjoy people like that, but they don't. Because it says in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reality is, if you are earnestly desiring to live as Christ tells us, 
and you never wag your finger or scold at another person, your life can be a reproach to those who are living differently. If everyone else is indulging in something and you turn down that item, that now offends them because you've indicated that that behavior is inappropriate. So if we never are self-righteous, if we're never pharisaical, if we're never scolding and harsh, if all we're doing is trying to live a godly life as pleases God, that's still going to be disliked by those who view it as a reproach on them and who don't want to hear God's truth and don't want to live God's way. And so there's going to be persecution. It's to be anticipated. It's to be expected. And Jesus says it's blessed because that's the way they've always treated the prophets and the people of God. And now in verse 11, the pronoun shifts in a strategic way. Up to now, it's been hypothetical. We're talking about who are the blessed people? What is the blessed life? But notice in verse 11, blessed are you. Now he turns on them. Blessed are you, my disciples, when people insult you, because they will, when they persecute you, because they will, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, not because you've done them wrong, but because of me. Blessed are you, my disciples, when this happens. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The righteous of God have always been persecuted. There was Cain, there was Abel. Abel offered a righteous sacrifice, and what did Cain do? He murdered him for it. What did Abel ever do to Cain? Nothing. But Abel was righteous and Cain was not, and that angered Cain and he persecuted him. Noah was mocked. Abram was marginalized. The people of God have always been mistreated. It's nothing new. It's nothing novel. It shouldn't surprise us. And Jesus says it's going to happen to you all too. But here's the interesting thing, is that Jesus, who loves the disciples so much, so much that he would live his life among them, so much so that he would wash their feet, so much so that he would die on the cross for them. He doesn't simply sequester them away. He doesn't preserve and protect them from all harm in this life. He doesn't simply say, we're going to send you to a beautiful community where you get to eat Chick-fil-A all the time and where there's a shepherd guide so you never have to do business with a non-Christian and where everybody homeschools and where no cussing is permitted and we're just going to create this perfect little bubble up in the hills of the Appalachian somewhere and you're going to live safe and sequestered until I come from you and then you'll get to be with me forever. He doesn't do that because he doesn't just love his disciples. He loves the world that he wants to become his disciples. He doesn't just love his children. He loves the other people that he wants to become his children. And the way he's going to reach them is by leaving his disciples in the world, exposing them to the mistreatment of others so that as they continue to pour out love, that when evil is done to them, they return good in return, that people say, wow, I'd like to be like that. I would like for my marriage to be like that. I would like for my children to be like that. I would like to have a community like this. And they'll come to Christ. And that's the point of the next few verses. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Not become the salt of the earth. It's not a command. Is If you are a disciple, your identity is you are a salt. 
Salt was used in two ways in the ancient world, as a preservative to stay decay, and also as an additive for flavor and to make food more palatable. If you are in Christ, then you are helping stay the decay, delay the corruption of a fallen world that rejects God. Because at least in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we're trying to do things God's way. And to the extent that we can, to the extent that we can help others do the same, we're slowing down the corruption of the world. And we help make life more palatable, more flavorful, for people to find joy, for people to experience God's purpose for their life, for them to see what life is intended to be, that it's more than just simply self-indulgence and the acquisition of material things. The true happiness isn't true selfishness where you indulge every appetite and acquire everything you covet. That's not the goal in life. That's not the path to happiness. And we are intended to be salt. But in order for salt to do any good, what does it have to do? It has to get out of the shaker and into the food or the meat. So we can't just simply gather as granules and enjoy our saltiness. We gotta get out of the shaker which means getting into some uncomfortable places and being in a corrupt and a decaying and sometimes unpalatable, unflavorable, undesirable context because that is our identity. That's our calling. That's our purpose. We've got to get out of the salt shaker. And we can't lose our saltiness. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In the ancient world, it wasn't pure salt. Um, is it sodium chloride? Is that the chemical? I've got a chemist in the background. So sodium chloride is a stable compound. Salt can't lose its saltiness unless you got it not from evaporated salt water, but from salt marshes and other less pure sources. And because sodium chloride is more, or chloride is more soluble, it could leach away and leaving the element it was in, the dirt, the marsh, the mud, unsalty. That's what's going on here. So we have to retain our saltiness and we have to get out of the salt shaker so that we can help delay the corruption and we can help make life more palatable by showing people what God intends life to be. He gives another image. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So back before there was electricity, the world was really dark. And if you were on your way through the countryside and you would come within sight of a Jerusalem or a city set on a hill, it stood out like a beacon. It stood out like a lighthouse. And Jesus says again, He doesn't command us to be light. He says, you are light. I've transferred you out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. I've put my light within you so that one candle, two candle can have two candle power. And then more and more and more. And we don't hide it under a basket. We let it shine. And we put it up prominently so that one, we can shine our light into the community and let them know this is how you run a marriage. This is how you run a business. This is how you run a life. And even if you reject Jesus as your Savior, God's way is better. And there's wisdom 
and light that we can shed out into our community. But it's also intended to be a beacon that we draw people to the light. If you've ever been hiking or camping in the dark and you see a campfire, there's something magnetic about it. You're drawn to it. We're drawn to light. And that's what the church is intended to be. We're not supposed to simply come in, shut the shutters so the world can't discover us and persecute us. We stand up proud. We stand up high. We shine forth for all to see to let what light falls that they'll receive bless them in whatever way they're willing. But more than that, to beckon them, to draw them in, to come let their darkness be transformed into light and to join the community of light because that's what the church is intended to be. So verse 16 concludes, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're to take this humble, gentle, compassionate, merciful, holy character and transform it into good deeds, not just towards one another, but into our community, into the parks, into the uh, sports teams that are playing, into the elementary school, into our neighbors that are moving here to go to UNT and elsewhere, into the aviation students. And we take Christ's character and we convert it into good deeds and we go forth and let that light shine and God gets all the glory. And people say, I want to find out more about that Savior. I want to find out more about that God. I want to experience that in my life. And that is what the church is intended to be and do. So up until now, we have been largely focusing on inreach, on becoming a community, so that we could have something to invite people into. We had to become a church before we could really initiate inviting people into our church. But the new school year is here. The soft opening is done. We're about to pronounce ourselves open for business. And so what we'd like to now do is introduce to you some of the ministries that are going to be happening this fall so that you can pray about how God would have you be involved. So would our various ministry heads please come forward. And I want you to hear from them personally on their role in the church, opportunities to serve in their ministry so that you can approach them, find out more, and get the joy of entering into the Christian life as God intends, which is every saint using his or her gift to serve as God has called them. So first I'd like to introduce Katie Harbour. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Katie Harbour, and I get the privilege of overseeing the children's ministry here at Denia. Um, it's been such a blessing to get to do that and get to know you all and it's just been such a fun summer getting to know everyone. Um, so I'd love to tell you a little bit about what's going on this fall in our Dina Children's Ministry. So our Sunday school happens um, every Sunday morning. Um, and our breakdown of ages are um, babies through two years old, three years old to kindergarten. And then our newest addition is um, our first through third grade class. So that is launching on September 1st. And a cool thing about that is that they will get to come and worship with their parents um, before they go to class. Um, we think that's just really important for them to be able to follow your example. Um, parents are the primary example for their kids, and um, we just want to keep that a priority and keep it a family church. So that um, if you have a kid 
in that age group, I will be communicating with you directly. And um, if you have any questions with that, um, I will get you an email and I'll be available to talk after this as well. Um, another thing that's happening is Thursday nights, we offer first through fifth grade and we are just able to get to know them and get to um, have a Bible study for them while their parents are in um, their Bible study. So that's first through fifth grade. Um, and then just so you all know, um, everyone that is serving with our kids has gone through a ministry safe program, which is um, just a sexual abuse awareness training. And we just want everyone to um, have that training and also pass a criminal background check. And so everyone that's serving with your children um, are totally clear to serve and they've been trained in that area. Um, we just value safety and that's utmost importance when it comes to kids. So we, um, we make that a huge priority um, here at Denia. Let's see, so also we have Borman Elementary, which you've probably heard about. We got to welcome them um, a few weeks ago and just welcome their teachers and get to um, just start their school year off strong and just build an awesome relationship with those teachers and that principal and we're excited to provide an opportunity to mentor a kid that is in that school district. So if that's something you're interested in, um, please come find me and talk about being a light in the community. Um, that is just a way for us to shine in our own corner of the world. And so we would love for you to get to serve in that area, get to know a kid one-on-one -on -one and just help them grow and give them just that loving kindness that Christ gives us. Um, so if you are interested in becoming involved in any of these areas, please come find me. We have openings in um, our babies through two years old class, our preschool class on Sunday mornings, and our first through third grade class coming up very soon on September 1st. So please come find me and also on Thursday nights. So lots of ways to serve. Um, kids are just such a blessing to us and we get to be a blessing to them as well and get to instill those seeds of faith into their lives at such a young age. And um, it's just such a privilege to get to serve with you all. So thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Ian Harbour, Katie's husband, and uh, I'm going to be um, kind of the point person for the media team here. And so before I talk about it, I kind of just want to say thank you to the team that's been holding down the fort so far, um, Jeremy Peacock, Sam Sulis, Jeff Ty, Cynthia Birch taking photos for us today. So just, we have a great team. And um, so talking about media, there's a lot of stuff that's coming up. And um, the first one, I know there's probably been people wondering about it, is we are very close to launching a website. You know, a website is kind of our front door to the community. In today's day and age, people are going to look at your website before they ever step foot in your doors. And so having one is very important, one that um, clearly communicates who we are. It has info on the church. And so that's, that's important, and it's very close to being launched. It'll come up here soon, and we'll, we'll let you know when that's up. And also, um, for us here in the church, if you consider Dina home, it will include online giving. You'll get more information about that in the future, but I know for some of us that would be helpful, and so that'll be a resource that will be coming soon. 
The second thing is um, the podcast. So, um, how, you know, how do you stay in touch with the church if you're out for a week or if you're sick? We do put all of our audio, whether that's um, this right here or on Thursday nights, it goes up on a podcast. And so whether you have um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, and the video goes up on YouTube, you can always stay in touch with us here. Um, you just search Dina Community Church on any of those apps, hit subscribe, and it will come to you and you can listen in um, on all that audio. And I think that's really important. You know, um, part of John's testimony is that someone gave him a tape with a sermon on it in his dorm room, and that was part of what God used to lead you to Christ. And for better or for worse, uh, today, this is the new tape ministry. Um, <laughs> and honestly, and honestly, on a technological level, this is the new printing press. We're going through the largest communication shift in 500 years. Um, and so being able to use this as a tool and as a resource is huge. And so we could um, get worried about it or complain about it, or we could redeem it. Amen? And we can put all of this great content on there um, for um, our community to see and experience, maybe before they even come in. And also, if you have to miss, you don't actually have to miss the content. So that's great, too. So there's lots of opportunities to serve with the media team. Um, when it comes to all of this, you know, a lot of media stuff, especially here on Sundays, um, you know, it's invisible when it's right, and when it's wrong, everybody notices. So, um, so um, with there's, there's the sound, uh, being able to have the soundboard so you can hear me right now, that's very important. Um, the words up on the screen is very important. Um, Jeff filming this right now. Um, so all of those are opportunities. Um, there's other opportunities as well, it's kind of capturing the, the culture of our church. There's photography and videography and graphic design, um, and Cynthia's been helping with some of that, but there's, we need more people helping, you know, so it's not all riding, rising and falling on one person. Um, and, so, and then there's the publishing side of it, capturing all of it, putting it together, um, putting the video on YouTube after you cut it, and putting the podcast on the apps, and social media, all that good stuff. So if any of that strikes your fancy, um, let me know. I'll be at the brunch, and uh, we would love to have you involved with this team. So thank you. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Jesse Wells, and I am with Student Ministries, and we just kicked off Thursday. We had um, Piper and Pruitt, all the brown boys. We already had a first black eye, like <laughs> 10 minutes in. Uh, it was glorious. Uh, to give a kind of a, a view of the way that I view student ministry is students don't attend church. Students are the church. Um, Paul says, what, uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, what need have I of you? The mind can't say to the foot, why do I need you? Meaning the foot needs the mind as the mind needs the foot, and the hand needs the eye as the eye needs the hand. And so students need you, and you need students, because we are all members of one body. And he also says that there's neither uh, male nor female, Greek nor Jew, free nor slave, all are, in one, are one in Christ. So someone who is 14 years old, they are as much one in Christ as one who has a seminary degree, one who has walked with the Lord for 60 years. So I do think, however, that it is scripturally the responsibility of those who are strong to help those who are weak or have entered into the faith or are young in the faith. And so I think it's the church's responsibility to help disciple and raise up our youth. But there are aspects that our youth can help out our church. And so there's this wonderful harmony that can happen. Um, I think the way that this occurs is the way that Jesus did it, is through relational ministry. So Jesus walked with the disciples for three years before he sent them out. Um, Paul spends time with Timothy as 
Barnabas spent time with Paul. And he, I think it's really, really, really well encapsulated in 1 Thess 2.8 when he says, We have become so affectionately, affectionately desirous of you that we share not only the gospel of God, but our very own lives as well. And so relational ministry basically just means I'm going to share my life with you, with a student, as I'm sharing with you the eternal truths of God found in Scripture. And so ways that we do that, the first couple of weeks and maybe a month or two, all we're going to do is just build relationships. We're going to have fun. So we played Foursquare on Thursday night. We played um, one-on-one King of the Court basketball for a little bit until it was disrupted by an injury. Um, and we will get to Bible study. We will get to um, core things. We'll, we can get to doctrine. Um, but we're going to build relationships. We're going to go to football games. Um, if you're interested, so the volunteer side, if you're interested in just connecting kids and having fun hanging out, you want to come and play games on Thursday night with us, come talk to me. We'll have fun. Uh, if you want to go to tailgate at a football game, man, I would love that. I would love someone who knows how to grill well and doesn't, you know, I don't like eating charcoal. So how does, you know, and I'm, I'm a charcoal maker. So um, how do we get something that's fine? Um, if you want to come and play basketball, part of our weekly um, outlook is going to just be going to Dina, and we're going to just lace up and play some ball and see who's there. Uh, if you're interested in being a leader and what it looks like to maybe actually partake in relational discipleship of someone, come talk to me. Um, we have about six to ten students right now, but more coming. And so I don't want to be the solo guy of 12 people because I cannot um, mentor and, and grow 12 people. Um, Jesus had 12, and really even within 12, he had three. And so Paul had one to two. He has Timothy and Titus. And so if I am the only guy at student ministries, then I have capped myself at 12 people and I've kept myself at a qualitative level, right? Maybe it might be good, but it'll never be great. Y'all are what makes it great. And so if you want to come partake of that, um, I would love to talk. And for background stuff, it's the same as um, what Katie was saying. I'll just send you to her. She does an incredible job with that. And uh, we can talk more about the ins and outs of that. Sarah Ripple's already helping out, and that was a huge help. Um, so... I think that's student ministries in a nutshell, and uh, I'm happy to be here. So, thank you. We're both short, so (laughs) maybe you can see us over this. I'm Connie Combe, and uh, I've been kind of working with the the visitors, and uh, uh, I just want to say, and the greeters, Greeters are so important. In a a way, we are all greeters. We want this to be a loving, welcoming church, and everybody does a wonderful job. And I just appreciate the people have stepped up to volunteer to be greeters and uh, just how welcoming they're making everything. But we need more of you. As the church grows, we want to have a rotation schedule where uh, we have certain people scheduled for every Sunday to greet. 
And then on the other side of that, when we have visitors, we want to be able to invite them into our homes. And the Buellers have done a wonderful job of that. They are kind of our model and our example. We want to duplicate that. There's nothing like coming to a home and having a meal with somebody to make someone feel loved and welcome. You know, our prayer is there's so many hurting people out there. And we want, when people come in with hurts and needs, we want to be able to reach those people and meet those needs. Um, it's just so important. I came to Christ because somebody reached out to me and invited me into their home, and I saw what love and joy and peace was for the first time. And so we can never put too much importance on that. And then one of the other things, uh, Nock and I have been working together on women's ministries. It's been a joy to get to know Nock better and work with her. One of the things we're doing, it's called Serving Our Sisters. And uh, once a month, we're going into someone's home. Uh, we have index cards, if you will uh, fill those out on the table. We, uh, we are trying to fill needs, like if you need painting or yard work, or we went and organized Megan's Pantry a couple of weeks ago. And it's just fun. It's not just helping, it's the fellowship. And my hope is that as we begin expanding this, I would like to see several teams of women once a month on Saturdays going to different homes and inviting their neighbors in to come and help and pulling people in as an outreach to do this. Um, and so there's a yellow bag out there with index cards. If you, had, if you haven't put your name down with what you need help with, please do that so we can come and serve you and get to know one another. It's a great way to, to grow close into fellowship. And I'm gonna let Nock talk about some of the other things that women's ministries are doing. Hi. <laughs> I'm Nock Brown, and um, our Ladies Fellowship time has just been once a month. We gather um, and we visit on different things that hopefully will meet the needs of our ladies. And so just um, polishing um, our tools, sharpening them, um, and so I invite you to that. One of the neat things about being a small community at this point is getting to know one another. And so one of the things that we are really pushing is like what John said about how to become a disciple and to be a discipler. And so um, what it is is just following Christ. And so if you desire to follow Christ and have someone walk with you in that, um, who's just a little bit ahead on their spiritual journey. We have a form out there um, on the information table and then also at my home where you can fill out and say, hey, I need someone. I would desire to have someone um, walk with me in life and help me to follow Christ. Um, or if you would like to help someone along in that journey, there's an opportunity for you too. And so whether you are a man or a woman, we've got forms out there um, that would allow you to give us our information and um, what your needs are or what, how you want to plug in in that way. The other thing is if you do want to plug in with in our church, um, like John has said and the Word said, we all have a spiritual gift. And sometimes we may know what that is and sometimes we uh, need to explore that. We have a form out there for you to fill out and just communicate to us what it is that your gift is or your experience has been or what you would desire to do so that we can start plugging you in. And so those are things that um, if you want to be a part of our body and want to get involved that I would encourage you to do. I'm a little taller, not much. 
Uh, good morning. I'm Fred Cummings. Most of you have seen me. Here I am. <laughs> We're going to uh, start a men's ministry, and the importance of that, I will give you my personal story, that if there were not strong men in my life, I would not be here. I wouldn't be here. And it is important that I speak louder. <laughs> I did something, I'm sure. Yes. Leave it to me. The, the importance of a strong man in, in my life uh, was just insurmountable in the sense that if I had not had them, I would not be here. My father, my grandfathers, school teachers, coaches, men who could look at me and say, Fred, that's not right. Uh, Fred, you need to think about that. Well, you should respect your mother. Well, you might want to respect your sisters. Be a good idea if you would respect the people that you work with. Now, the issue for me is that men, many times, kind of hide away in the church. Just kind of roll under. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to take this text, man of God, and September, October, November, December, we're going to complete that. Now, it says it's a two-semester work. We're going to do it in a semester. Why? Because I move fast. <laughs> but we're going to study this, we're going to apply this, and then we're going to move out into the community. We're going to move around in this church, and we're going to strengthen our families. Men, we're going to become great husbands and fathers. We're going to become great church members. We're going to become so well known in the community that they will always say, there's a guy at Dina that you can talk to. There's a guy at Dina you can go to. And guys, you're going to be able to talk to each other because we don't do that. We don't share our little shortcomings. I mean, is a man going to tell somebody that, you know, he's really not all that? Yes, you're going to tell the guys that, you know, I, I slipped here. Um, I'm not very strong here. We're going to share those things, and we're going to do those things biblically. We're going to pick each other up. We're going to support each other, and we're going to support this church, this community, and our families. And we're going to start in September. I'll give you a date. Meet me later on this afternoon, and we'll talk about all the other things we're going to do. But men's ministry, we're off. We're ready to go. Thank you. Good morning. Scott, also known as the car guy, lawn guy, yard guy, truck guy, if you haven't heard of me yet. Uh, we take care of the yard as a church. And as a church, we felt like uh, we don't need to hire an outside company to come in and take care of the yard. It's very expensive. It's six acres that we're sitting on. Uh, a lot of trees, a lot of grass, a lot of trimming, a lot of work. But we have so much fun every other Saturday coming out here, cutting the grass, watching the sunrise, because we do get up early and uh, beat the heat. Uh, guys are, you know, talking to each other and enjoying uh, donuts, kolaches, all the, you know, 
breakfast champions. <clears throat> but we couldn't do it without volunteers. The guys that have been out here this summer have been fabulous, uh, showing up every other Saturday early in the morning. I'm having to get up earlier and earlier and earlier just to beat them out here. Uh, I don't know if they're excited to get it over with or excited to just show up and do something. But my point is, summer's coming to an end. Uh, the yard will not grow anymore. But we still have a church, we still have six acres, and we still have a lot to do. So we need people to continue to show up and do things, uh, different projects. As we know, the fall comes in, the leaves start falling, the branches start falling. We got wood to cut up, we got leaves to clear out. We may have a room to paint, a parking lot to stripe. Who knows? But we have projects. So we need people to continue to volunteer every other Saturday. Uh, it may change depending on weather, just like it does in the summertime, but uh, there is a schedule of every other Saturday doing that. So that's how you can help out men, women, any age, uh, children. It doesn't matter uh, if you've got two hands and willing to work and, and uh, strong enough back to bend over or rake, rake leaves or bag leaves. would be great to have you out here. So uh, let us know if you're willing to help. We don't have a sign-up sheet. It's very low-key. Just text or call or just show up. The more the merrier. And uh, we'll continue to get more donuts and more kolaches and more water. Thank you. Okay. My name is Jan Sims, and um, I live on Willowwood. Um, and this, uh, the areas that I serve in is facilities, communion, and Chinese ministry. And there's even a ministry inside the Chinese ministry because we have um, community service workers that come here uh, every Saturday, sometimes three, sometimes four, and they're serving certain hours because they have gotten into a little bit of trouble. And I love working with those people because they need love too. Some of the things that facilities do, my husband David and I are here every Sunday morning, um, about an hour before everybody else, making coffee, turning down the AC, because it's 85 when we get here. And um, on Thursday, we get here at 4 to 4.30. I have some people that help already. Martha's one of them. And we get ready for the dinner because we love serving you and having fellowship with each and every one of you. And then on Saturday, to serve the Chinese, um, we get here about 3 and um, start preparing dinner, um, ministering to the community service and encouraging them and to be examples for them. Um, so as you can see, there's a lot of opportunities to serve. And if you, if you have a gift for cooking or just loving on people, come see me. A couple of other areas of outreach. Um, UNT is blessed to have a number of visiting professors who are coming in from other countries to spend two semesters or more here. And they're looking for host families. So people who would be willing to open up their home on occasion and just allow our guests from other countries to see an American home, to meet an American family, 
and for us to be a blessing to them any way we can. UNT is looking for language partners, for people here who are studying in English as their second language. They're looking for people just to practice English with them. And oftentimes we get to pick the topics so we can introduce them to the Bible as an important American book. And the gospel is something that's important to us, but that's another way to serve our community. Uh, we have people who are beginning to register to be teachers at Dina Rec Center. And so we have the city providing for us a recreation center that we can teach classes at, we can play basketball at, we can lift weights at. And as we do, we get to know the other people that are there, try to uh, befriend them, invite them to our church, and be a blessing any way we can. So basically what we're trying to tell you this morning is we're open for business. And there's a lot going on. As you see opportunities, come talk to us about them. We want to be creative. We want this to be not all top-down, but grassroots driven. But as you're walking, driving, biking, introduce yourselves. We're going to see UNT students moving into the renter homes in the area. Come drop in, find out where they're from, what they're studying, what needs they have. Do they have a local church? And let's start welcoming them to our local church. There's a book that has no words in it, but it has vividly captured a lot of what we're trying to communicate. And it's called The Flower Man. Now, the size and lighting is going to make this a little bit difficult to read in detail, but you'll be able to get the general idea. On the first page of The Flower Man, he moves into a neighborhood at night, and it's dark and it's dumpy. There's trash, there's tires, and as you begin to peek into some of the windows, every home, every room is a different scene of misery. But the flower man moves in intentionally, and he begins to set up his own community. He moves into a home, settles into the neighborhood, and as the day dawns, they find that there is a new neighbor living in the neighborhood. And he's painting his house, and he's caring for his lawn, and he's beginning to brighten an otherwise dark spot. And if you can see, the pointer's gone. There's a little girl leaning in, curious about who the new neighbor is. Who is this man and what is he doing? As we go to the next scene, he gives her a flower. And she takes it. And the color begins to follow her. There was something different about this person. A curious person leaned in. He blessed them in a small way. And as she goes on, she begins to encounter an old homeless man who's injured. And she hugs him. And other, begin, other people begin to look. He blesses another person who's drawn. Other people begin to just, who is this person? What's going on at this home? And the color begins to spread. In the next scene, the man who received a hug is now clothed differently, groomed more carefully, and more people are beginning to come to peer in the window, to gather around the man, to receive the flowers, to be encouraged by the example. And as you can begin to see, they're beginning to paint their homes. They're beginning to dress differently, act differently. And now some of these scenes of parents screaming at children Husbands and wives arguing. The demeanor, the temperament in the homes is shifting and changing. It goes on. It Can you go back one more, Jeremy? The whole neighborhood is different, is brighter, is better, is colored. 
And then this flower man, as the evening goes, and again, each scene, the man who's been sitting in his bathtub for all these times is now singing from the, from the rooftops, happy with flowers himself. The homes are painted, meals are being served on tables, the TV dinners have yielded their way to actual cooked meals. People are sitting on the stoops, talking to one another. People are beginning to defriend one another. Dads are carrying kids on their back. Injured people are being assisted by the teens in town. And the flower man, what does he do? Jeremy, if you'll move us. He picks up his things. He moves into another neighborhood. And he starts the whole process over again. God has placed us in the Dini neighborhood to be flower people. Not in a 60 sense, but in a, in a gospel sense of to be salt and light to this community so that in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, in our home, in this church, there's a brightness that's tangible. There's a joy that's evident. There's a peace that's envious. And we begin to draw onlookers, people who just come and gather. What's going on? What are all those cars doing there? Saturday mornings, Thursday nights, Sunday mornings. Now those t-shirts that I'm seeing, walking Friday mornings. Who are these people that have changed the atmosphere at Dina Rec Center? Why is there less profanity on the basketball court? Why? Every area that we touch, we just want to be bright for Christ. So that people get curious. Then they get drawn. Then they get touched and we share and they go and do likewise. And person by person, family by family, home by home, street by street, we bless this community for Christ. And then we take some of our families and we send them to ponder as the new housing developments are going in there. Or now into the new coal ranch and the different properties coming south of us. And we don't try to bring them all here to a sized church where people don't recognize and know each other. To create communities embedded in communities to impact those communities for Christ. To let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. What a privilege. What an opportunity God has given us. How blessed are we to be part of this at this season. Would you pray with me? Father, can we thank you for all you've done in such a short time. And the families that you've drawn, the love that you've embedded, the friendships, and that's not even a deep enough word to express some of the relationships and the bonds that are forming. And it's all by your grace and all for your glory. And not to simply hide away into a clique or a club that remains exclusive and private, that we gather people like us and people that we like, and we hide ourselves from the world and just enjoy each other. You have made us to be salt so that we can get out of the shaker and into the community. You have made us light that we can be a beckon and a beam. So thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the privilege to be a part of this. Would you continue to let us shine bright for you and change this community in a way that only you get the credit and the glory and then to send others to do likewise in other neighborhoods and communities as well. So we thank you for the soft opening we've enjoyed. And we pray now for grace as we reach with greater intentionality into our neighborhoods and invite them to be a part of what you're doing here. And we'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.